0: This morning, uh, we're back in Acts. We're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 14 uh, this morning and cover the first 20 verses, hopefully. Uh, The title of today's message is Faith to be Healed. Faith to be Healed. Uh, We remember that Acts, Praxeus was the word, is uh, these great acts, usually reserved for for kings or nobility. But we've seen so far a lot of great acts that, that really the Holy Spirit has done through the church, through the believers, through Peter, and now we see through Paul and Barnabas and the others. Uh, But just a quick recap of Acts. We saw the Lord's Ascension. We saw the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down and really the birth of the church really happened, I believe, at Pentecost. Uh, They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were enabled to go out and do the things and really just live the life that uh, Jesus has called us to. We saw believers, believers, and more believers. People just were coming to faith left and right. Peter would give a message, and the same message the next day, and next day, and next day, and thousands of people would come to know Um, And thats he was a fisherman, so it's not like he was probably that eloquent, but it was the words of the Holy Spirit through him. We saw stark consequences in people's lives, such as Ananias and Sapphira, when uh, they were giving, but they lied about it. And um, they didn't have to give, but they still lied. And Peter said, you didn't lie to us, you lied to God. And and they ended up dying for it. Uh, We saw Peter ministering to the Jews. We saw Saul's conversion uh, becoming Paul. We saw persecution in the church. Uh, We've seen uh, the missionary journey of of, of Paul and Barnabas begin to set out. Uh, But we've seen now recently in the past few studies that now as the Jews are rejecting the message more and more, um, not that more Jews aren't going to come to faith uh, in Acts, but we see that the message really begins to turn to the Gentiles. That as God's people uh, by heritage begin to reject the message of the Messiah, God begins to continue to open up the doors as he always had for the Gentiles. Uh, Previously, we saw uh, directions from the Holy Spirit to separate Paul and Barnabas unto himself, that that was really their call uh, to the mission field, was that God said, Hey, separate them. You you guys have enough ministry going on over here. Just give me Paul and Barnabas, because we're going to go out and do work here. Uh, We saw them go from synagogue to synagogue to share with the Jewish people. Um, They had an open door with the Gentiles. The Gentiles kept inviting them back. They wanted to hear more about the scriptures but we see that a lot of the jews especially the the religious leaders as usual began to reject the message of the truth and just to step back into chapter 13 real quick i'm just going to read a couple of verses so we can kind of catch up to where we uh, left off uh 1346 says then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believe. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women, and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Remember that Jesus said, hey, if they reject you, just shake off the dust and and turn and keep going on. But a couple questions as we start this morning. You know, is there something that you know you should be doing? this is for me as well i was like do i even share these uh but what is it what is it is there someone you know you should be praying for or ministering to who is it who is it and do you know what the lord wants most from you do you know what the lord wants most from you and i'll answer that one and that's just you he just wants you you know, I was looking through some old prayer journals the other day, going through, okay, which which one of these should I keep and which should I shouldn't? And I had a bunch of old notes that I probably never go through So on paper, and, you know, I can't search them on Google, so there's no way I'm going to look through there. So I got rid of those, but I kept my prayer journals, and I was reading through them, and some of them, man, I just, you could see different seasons I was going through with burdens or other things going on, and, and just going, man, you know, I, I didn't need these burdens sometimes. I didn't need these burdens sometimes on me. And that's the way the Lord would look at it. Sometimes we feel like, oh, Lord, if I just prayed more, Ah, and we, you know, we put this distance between ourselves and Lord because we haven't met up to some standard. And that's, the Lord doesn't really care about that, so to speak. Of course, he wants you to pray more, but he's not going to withhold himself from you. You know, he just wants you. And Lord, we thank you this morning that you do want us, that God, despite our massive failings and failures and the fact that we're just dust. And God, you're holy and you're eternal and we're temporal, God, but you've made us eternal in your son. God, I pray that you would, uh, God, just reach us this morning just uh, minister to us speak to us in your word and help us to hunger and thirst for it and god from there that we would begin to water and minister uh, to others that they might taste of you and and come to you god by your spirit and not by some fleshly work in jesus name amen so acts chapter 14 and we'll read the first seven verses here together um, for this first part Now it happened, verse 1, in Iconium, that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, uh, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. And we'll stop there for right now. We see that they came to Iconium. They, uh, you know, they kept moving on from city to city to region (coughs) to region. They would go and they would minister. They would find persecution or they'd be rejected or whatever the case may be. And they would keep going on. They would keep moving forward. They, you know, I think a lot of times today, if we were to go out and minister somewhere and, you know, especially if you were to go out evangelizing somewhere or go and do a Bible study with some friends somewhere or whatever you're doing and no one receives it, you'd probably give up. They would say, okay, well, it's, they didn't receive it, but that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to still give it. So we're going to move on and, and give it somewhere else. Um, but it says that they so spoke that the Jews and the Greeks believed. And again, I don't think that these guys, I mean, Paul was probably pretty eloquent. He was very educated But again, you know, a lot of people could say a lot of words, but when the Holy Spirit speaks, something very different happens. And we see that both Jews and Greeks believe, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we can, we can spend time with the Lord. You know, um, I was listening to a message by Dr. Stanley on the way to work this week. Uh, It's kind of, he's the one on the radio, so he's the one I listen to. But uh, he was talking there, you know, we can have gifts and people can even share with the gifts But man, uh, when the Holy Spirit is speaking through the word, when you're attentive to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, uh, there's a power there. There's a power there. But we see that there's resistance, that these people who don't believe the message, there are Jews and Greeks who believe, but then there are Jews and Greeks who don't believe, that those who don't believe, uh, they resist it. They resist it. They have hard hearts and closed minds to the gospel. Yeah, they're going to church, so to speak. They're going to temple. Yeah, they're about the things of God, so to speak but their hearts and minds are closed off to the things of God so much so that they resist the gospel message. Um, you know, if someone were to bring a new gospel to us today, I would say, yeah, wholeheartedly I'll be closed minded and resist that because the Bible is very clear that this is the full, um, you know, word of God that there's no new revelation coming. Um, but sincerely sometimes things come in and out of church and we miss jesus so to speak we miss uh, what the lord is doing just because we've gotten so rigid in our ways and that doesn't mean again that you know especially in this day and age of deception and that's the last days that we need to be very careful about what we accept what we let in and all those things but again um you know just let's not be rigid and closed-minded on everything um but we see that you know they had hard hearts and closed minds and it reminds me of um, you know what Jesus said in Matthew eighteen three. He says, surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven." And uh, it's similar in the sense where I think of you know when I tell my daughter something, you know she believes it. When I tell my my daughter something else, she believes it. If I tell her that that's a tree and that color is green, she believes it and she learns it. You know she doesn't know. I was saying the other night, she doesn't know. <laughs> The things of the world. She doesn't know how bad it is out there. And I'm, I'm thankful that she doesn't know that yet. Um, you know, one day she will. Um, but really when we come to the Lord, that's sort of how we have to be. Not that we check our intellect at the door and that we're believing something that doesn't make sense. I think the gospel makes the most sense. I think the Bible is the most logical document in the world. Um, However, a lot of people come to it because they're unwilling to be like a child. they're very prideful in what they've learned and what they've experienced And they're unwilling to maybe see things from a different light. and I think that that's what's happening here. But these people are so hard and they're so uh, they rejected the message so much that they actually poison these people's minds, it says, and that word "poisoned" could also be translated embittered," embittered." We uh, hear about everyone's someone was bitter. <laughs> You know, have you ever dealt with bitterness yourself? You know, the Bible says that it's like a deep root and it's hard to get out. That we need to be careful of the root of bitterness. That when we see bitterness spring up in ourselves, we need to, to, to deal with it right away. Because we quickly poison uh, those around us as we're poisoned. But this word, uh, it means to oppress, to maltreat, to harm. But also very interesting that it means, in a, in a sense, evil affected evil affected that this word to poison them was affecting these people with the evil that was in these people i mean if you're rejecting the gospel it's not from love it's not out of god it's it's from satan it's evil it's wickedness it's sin and so if you're pushing people away from the gospel you're poisoning them with evil you know evil affects us evil affects us guys you know, we're around it all the time. You know, the more I read the news, it's like they say, if people read a lot of news, get very depressed and angry and stuff. And and yeah, I, there's days I won't read the news. I will try not to read the news today, but during the week, I'll read the news. And it's like, man, you just sometimes you just want to get up and do something. But that, you know, that saying, see, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Maybe the, the little monkeys that they would show on Bugs Bunny or whatever it was. I remember growing up, they had those cartoons of it. And I think, in a sense, it's not just a, a three-step process like to see no evil, to hear no evil, and to speak no evil. I think it's also you could think of it as a way of a um, a flow, a process to where if if I'm if I'm not seeing evil, I'm not going to come closer and hear that evil. And if I'm not coming closer and hearing that evil, I'm not going to speak that evil. Because the more that we're around evil, the more that it gets in. You know, um, you watch certain movies or you watch certain shows, and you begin to say like catchphrases. You know, that's why I won't let my daughter watch certain children's movies because a lot of the catchphrases in them are stuff I don't want her repeating. You know, things that may be funny uh, to a 78-year-old boy. You know, I don't want my 2-year-old girl saying perhaps. I probably shouldn't even be saying. That's the same thing. When we're around it, it begins to affect us one way or another. You know, uh, like Jesus talked with his disciples, you know, know, you're washed already. You just need to wash your feet. Like, when we go out and we share the gospel and we're out in the world all day, it affects us. You know, it affects us. Like I shared about that study about complaining a few weeks ago, when people are complaining around us, we begin to complain all of a sudden. It's very contagious, very contagious. Uh, but Ephesians 5, 11 through 13 says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light. That these evil things are going to be in our lives. These evil things, sometimes we're even going to mess up because we're in the world or we're trying to love on the world and minister to the world. And sometimes we're going to say something we shouldn't have said or we're going to do something maybe we regret doing because we're you know trying to relate or trying to be friendly with someone and we realize, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. And God says, that's, that's okay. And he says, come to me. Get, have your feet washed. Be forgiven for these things and, and live holy. But really, we need to be not have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, that these evil things will affect us. And if people around the, us are blazingly wicked, well, we should probably shake the dust off our feet, so to speak, and expose those things. Not in a hateful way, but man, you know, I was listening to a message from John Corson yesterday, and he says, uh, you know, people will call you a hater. He says, yeah, I'm a hater. I'm a hater of sin, and I'm a hater of what it does to you in your life. You know, that, man, people aren't going to like you when you expose uh, the unfruitful works of darkness. But again, we need to do it in that uh, in that right way, in that loving way. But it says that they poison their minds, and this word mind can be translated souls. You know, we think of our soul as, uh, you know, we can kind of get these words mixed up in our culture, but really uh, the word suke, it's your mind, it's your where we get psychology from, uh, your breath of life or your soul, you know uh, it said that we are body, mind, and spirit, you know, the body, soul, and spirit, you know, you have your, your body, you have your heart and your mind, and then a deeper level in a sense, you have your spirit, which is dead before you come to the Lord. But really, you know, I was watching this thing about brain transplants and how they've been doing this research for years and how to do this. And it's kind of fringe, but, uh, how science really ties, you know, when the brain is dead, you're probably dead. You know, you're probably dead. You know, we have, uh, some family members who are in a vegetative state. And we had a friend this week who lost um, her daughter um, who's in a vegetative state for a couple days from, from having an aneurysm. Um, I think that's what it was. But um, really, like, it's a hard place. You know, it's one of those moral questions. That you go, is there really someone there? And, and I believe that as long as they're alive, as long as they're there, they're there. That there's still hope for them. There's still the spirit. The science doesn't believe in the spirit. Science thinks it's your flesh and your mind. And that's it. But I know that there's more there. There's more there. But that's a, a topic for another day, I think. But they poison their minds. That These people's souls were poisoned by these bitter words, by these people who didn't believe. They wanted to come around and make sure that no one else believed. And they also wanted to come around and make those who did believe to turn away from their faith. And that's a dangerous thing. I think we see that a lot today. That, you know, um, people who don't like... Christianity or, you know, even religion in general. Um, they don't want anyone else to have the opportunity to believe. They don't want people to hear about the gospel. They're taking prayer out of schools, prayer out of government. And um, and it's because they're embittered. It's because they're embittered, because they don't believe God for some reason. Maybe they're angry at God for some reason. Um, uh, and it's, in a sense, it's okay to be angry at God. You know, God wants us to come to him. But in reality, there's no real reason to be angry with him because he only does as good as we see. But it says, therefore, that they stayed a long time, that Paul and Barnabas stayed in this area for a long time because of what was going on. And I think it was to keep the truth going, to encourage those in faith. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever gone camping, but if you try and light a fire and it's windy or it's wet out, you need to be very uh, mindful of that fire, keep fanning the flame and blocking the wind and, and blowing it and keeping it going. And I think that's what these guys were doing here, that because there was an opposition, uh, they knew that they had to tend to this garden, so to speak, that it would flourish. But how they did that? They did it by making disciples. They made disciples here. They stayed around. They ministered to people. They helped them grow up. And I've heard it said that, that shepherds don't make sheep. That shepherds don't make sheep. It would be kind of weird if, if that was the case. But who makes sheep? Sheep make sheep. Just like we produce children, you know, uh, you know we produce uh, like kinds. You know, a dog has puppies, a cat has kittens, sheep produce sheep. And that's important that, you know, a, a healthy, healthy set of believers is going to produce more believers. Not that you couldn't, um, you know, I think of times in church when people would bring their friends to church that the pastor would minister to them. And not that that wouldn't be used or couldn't be used, but the primary person to minister to the person that you work with is you. You know, you don't need to bring someone um, to church or to a ministry. Um, you are the ministry. You are the church. You are the one who's going to, to make more sheep. And how is that done? By loving people by discipling people on that. And that's important. There's a, a very big um, importance in discipleship. And I don't mean the whole shepherding movement that's kind of gone through the church where, you know, you kind of have this control over someone's life and what car did you buy? And, you know, you got to run every decision by me. Well, no, who are you? <laughs> I'll run every decision by the Lord, guaranteed. Hopefully that's the ideal. And maybe this person will give me some advice if I ask for it. Or if they see me going off track, they'll kind of try and get me back on track. But it's not like this controlling pyramid scheme. Um, It's not a dictatorship where we all have to have the same haircut. But really, it's let me disciple them like an older brother to a younger brother and an an older lady to a younger lady, um, raising them up. And it doesn't always have to be in age. It could always be just in spiritual age, really. You know, you guys have probably heard of this, but there's the idea of the Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy model, that there should always be a Paul in your life, someone who is spiritually more mature than you that that you're feeding off of whether that's your pastor whether that's someone in your family or someone that you know who's just walked with the lord and and not that necessarily you even have to go to them and say hey will you disciple me but we're in a sense where it it naturally happens and if you don't find it naturally happening maybe it's time to seek it out maybe you should pray and seek the lord and say there's someone that i can turn to you know there's guys in my life who i turn to and i say hey would you i i let them know what's going on in my life and i look to them and i say hey you know pray for me for this. Or I just need someone to talk to sometimes, you know, because that's just the way it is. Um, And uh, it's not that I like one person better than the other in my flesh. I might pick a different person, but it's just someone that the Lord has brought in my life. In the same sense, we should have a Barnabas in our life. As we see here, Paul and Barnabas going on a missions trip, Barnabas was an encouragement. He had been leading the missions. Paul began to be raised up and Barnabas began to support him. Um, and we need someone in our life who's who's a Barnabas, who's who's doing the same things that we're doing. Maybe they're involved in the same ministries they are. Maybe they still live on the other side of the country. I don't know, but they come alongside you. They encourage you. They give you words of encouragement. You know, when we went to the Christmas Eve service at a, a City Gates Church. Um, I saw some people there that we had met a couple times when we were coming down to visit. And man, this guy is just such an encouragement, and his wife was such an encouragement. Like they barely have to say anything. And I just feel so refreshed and encouraged by it. And you guys are like that too. Like there's times when you guys walk out of here, I'm just like, ah, just like, not like, ha ha, finally, but like this breath of fresh air. It's like, what a blessing, what a a blessing to that. Then also to have a Timothy in our life. And, and you guys are stuck with a Timothy right here talking right now, but someone that you can pour into someone who's maybe a little younger in the faith than you, or maybe he's, uh, Um, someone who's younger than you, maybe in age, or maybe someone um, who's just inexperienced and you want to help them get through what they're going through, uh, that we would have that as well. That, you know, there's all these directions and we're all taking care of each other just like a body would. I think that that's very important. You know, we had D groups in our youth group um, for years where um, some of the older girls, some of the youth leaders, would take some of the girls every week or every two weeks and have a Bible study with them, get coffee with them, I purposely have a specific called out discipleship group where, um, you know, I met with uh, two or three guys for years, years that they, they grew up. And at times they would share things. I would go, you know, you need me to be here. You know, like I see the Lord working in them. And then as they got older, they began to take on their own discipleship groups. And uh, as they were youth leaders, as they grew up, became youth leaders. And now I see them serving in churches. They're doing worship. And it's not because of me, it's because of the Lord. And it's because, I wasn't the only one discipling them and I wasn't the only one being discipled by one person. It's like, it's multiple people and we're all working together as a family. And one of them's getting married in a couple of months on Easter. I'm like, bro, why the day before Easter, it's going to be so hard to drive back. (laughs) But sincerely that, uh, you know, these young guys, we see them growing up and that's the way it is. You know, um, I heard, uh, Pastor Brian Bros didn't say something on Instagram about uh, a younger pastor teaching at some conference. I think it was a missions conference. He said, I'm excited about the future of the Calvary movement because of guys like this. Because that's what happens. As we get older, you get older, you get crustier. It's harder to walk around. And the young guys can run around and do 100 things. And, and that's the thing. As we get older, we need to pour into those who are younger because they are the future. They are the future. And I'm concerned about our future. But we see, as we've gotten all the way to verse 3 in 21 minutes, that therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. That Who was the center of the ministry? It was the Lord himself. It was the Lord himself. The Lord was the one who was bearing witness. It was the Lord of the one who was doing the wonders and the miracles through these guys. But these guys were just the conduit. And that's the way ministry should be. That's the way it should be when we get together and we study the Bible, or we pray together, or we just hang out. That when ministry happens, it's not because any one of us is is more special than the other. It's that we know God, and that when we come together, of course God is going to want to do things. When we give God opportunity to do things, such as sitting here and, and having a Bible study together, man, when we just step back and say, God, would you speak to us? You don't think he's going to want to jump at that opportunity? He's, he's out there in the world trying to speak to people, trying to speak to believers, and he's just just give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity. But we see here that it becomes a divided city. A divided city. And we know the verse in Mark 3, 22 that says, through 26, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub speaking of Jesus. And by the ruler of demons he casts out demons. So Jesus called, to, called them to himself, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself, it is divided and it cannot stand, but it has an end. That if it's divided, it's going to fall. It's going to fall. If, if your marriage is divided, your family is going to suffer. You know, if there's a big crack down the middle of this house, no matter how much heat we put on, it'll never get hot in here. You know, if there's a crack in the bottom of a bridge, eventually it's going to break because it's divided. But I see today that there really is a divided church a divided church. I'm not saying this ecumenical idea, this this idea that's really spirit of the antichrist that's going through the world and saying, "Oh, let's just put aside all our differences and, you know, let's coexist and especially even in the church that we can fellowship with these guys and these, oh, they have Jesus and their wall and no, that's that's not how it goes. You know, we we don't want to sacrifice truth for unity. We certainly want to sacrifice disunity for unity, but not at the expense of truth and of Jesus. But we see the church is divided on things that shouldn't be divided about and it's together on things that shouldn't be together on and we find that that happens there's this as soon as we begin to let go of the right things we take hold of the wrong things we also see i think in a in a, in a sense an effect from that a result from that in our nation at least a divided nation a divided nation you have some people who believe totally one thing and other people who believe totally another thing and there's very little middle ground anymore when it comes to especially the politics it's either all this way or or all that way. And, um, you know, it's scary because you said a, a house that's divided and a kingdom that's divided cannot stand. We saw the Roman Empire got very divided and what happened? It fell. So, you know, history repeats itself. I know we think it can't happen here, but it's very, it's very possible that the nation continues to be split and divided, that it's going to fall. Maybe we'll solve the American flag, but it's not going to be America anymore. It's going to be something very, very different. Um, you know, whether we get conquered from without or within, um, it's divided. I'm going to read this quote I read recently. Um, the notes are online if you want the link for the full article. But, uh, and I don't really know this guy very well um, other than a, that he's a Supreme Court Justice uh, Antonin Scalia. I don't really know what his history is, so I'm not really vouching for the man. But I'm, I'm, I'm just going to read a quote from him. It says that supreme court justice antonin scalia said saturday that the idea of religious neutrality is not grounded in the country's constitutional traditions and that god has been good to the u.s exactly because americans honor him he goes on and says there is no place in the country's constitutional traditions for the idea that the state must be neutral between religion and its absence to tell you the truth there is no place for that in our constitutional tradition where did that come from he said to be sure you can't favor one denomination over another but you can't favor religion over non-religion or non over religion. He also said that there was nothing wrong with the idea of presidents and others invoking God in speeches. He said, God has been good to America because Americans have honored him. Scalia said during the September 11th attacks, he was in Rome at a conference. The next morning, after a speech by uh, then-President George W. Bush, in which he invoked God and asked for his blessing, Scalia said many of the other judges approached him and said they wished their presidents or prime ministers would do the same. God has been very good to us. That we won the revolution was extraordinary. Think about that. We beat the British, this mega army, and we beat them. The Battle of Midway was extraordinary in the Pacific in World War II. I think of one of the reasons God has been good to us is that we have done honor. We have done him honor. Unlike other countries of the world that do not even invoke his name, we do him honor. In presidential addresses and thanksgiving proclamations and many other ways, Clea said, there's nothing wrong with that and do not let anyone tell you that there's anything wrong with that, he added. But that's an oddity in this day and age, especially in a governmental office, to say that there's nothing wrong with invoking God. It's praying in Jesus' name. They're not even allowed military chaplains to do that. And you wonder why America's falling apart It the seams. You wonder why there's a shooting every other week? It's not because the guns are legal. It's because God's illegal. It's because you can't tell people that there's a God. You tell people that they're evolved. And when you take the true God out, what's coming in that vacuum? A false God. Islam. A false God. Politically correct. A false God. Humanism. But you know, we see here, get off my soapbox there for a minute, that com- common enemies make uh, common friends. You know, all these people, the Gentiles and the Jews who are disbelieving and they see this stuff going on, they get together and they they want to persecute these people. But they they continue to preach the gospel there, that they continue to spread the gospel no matter the opposition or the consequence. And I think that that's hopefully a word for us today uh, that we would continue to spread the gospel. We were uh, thinking about it and praying for our friends this morning who are in China, and just, God, help us to pray for them more because they are literally in hostile territory. And you might say the same thing for us, but not even close. Let's go on. Verse eight. And in Lystra, a certain man was without strength in his feet and was sitting and was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, when the people saw that what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, "The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men." And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priests of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. And we'll stop there for right now. We see that this man never walked. Can you imagine that? Never walking, never walking. You know, as we get older, it's probably a little bit harder to walk, a little harder to get up off the couch, but I can't imagine never walking. And Paul there is observing him intently. He's looking at this man as they're there sharing, and he observes intently. He can tell it was written all over this man that had faith to be healed. That This man was there, you know, not necessarily begging for it, not necessarily asking for it, but he said he saw that there was faith in this man, that man, if God would heal him, he would heal him. You know... Uh, if you've ever been up in front of a crowd or had to do public speaking, you know, uh, when I've taught at, uh, when I teach, sometimes it's easy to see who's paying attention, and who's not, someone sleeping, someone checking their cell phone, uh, you know, even in a large crowd, you can kind of tell. And some people, you can tell that they just want to get out of there um, and others, you can tell that, man, they are really listening. Um, uh, you can just tell. But I think for this guy, I don't know if I've ever, ever told that someone has a faith to be healed. Seen someone coming in a wheelchair. I don't know if I've ever thought that. I know I haven't thought that because I didn't say what Paul said. I never walked up to anyone and said uh, with a, a, a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. I might go, hey, you want me to pray for you? You know, whisper. And Paul's not that way. Paul's not that way. He's got faith. Um, but it reminds me of this cripple being healed outside the temple, the beautiful gate that we read in Acts chapter 3, that he, got, that he had faith they, they said, We don't have money, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he leaped and walked, you know. This man who couldn't walk all his life, he's got faith. He knows that what they're sharing is true. And again, that's a, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit doing a work and ministering to this man. But it wasn't a fraud, it's not a sham, you know. Fortunately, in our day and age, especially in America or in Western culture, when we think of a healing ministry or someone getting healed, We think of it as a sham. We think of the guys we see on TV who are dancing around and knocking people over. And, you know, behind the stage, it's really they they collaborated beforehand. And he's got someone giving him the names, to call out of his ear and, you know, all these crazy things. But it's not a fraud here. It's not a sham. You know, it's not this lying signs and wonders. 2 Thessalonians talks about where the, in 2, 9 through 12 that the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. They might be saved. And he's talking about the times when the Antichrist come that there's going to be lots of lying signs and wonders that go on. And maybe we'll, we'll we'll talk about that in another study. But we see here that, you know, just because someone gets healed doesn't necessarily mean that God's doing it. It could be a lying sign and wonder here. But here we see that God is doing it. Now, this man... Is preaching the gospel. Paul's preaching the gospel. Barnabas—they're bringing it, and this man um, has faith to be healed. Has faith to be healed, and and I think Paul's got faith too—faith that this man would be healed. And I think in this day and age, again, like we talked about, we were talking before about there's a lot of hospitals down here. Maybe it's just this area, but I don't know that we really have faith to be healed. We we feel like we need a healthcare system. We feel like we need a doctor. We feel like we need all sorts of medicine. And again, not that those things are bad. I'm glad we have them. I'm glad we have ibuprofen in the fridge or on top of the fridge at one of my two-thirds so I can take some ibuprofen. I'm glad we have fever reducer. If my kids get sick, I can give them fever reducer. Um, you know, I'm glad that if they're sick enough, we can go to the doctor. I'm glad that we have a map with, I don't know how many doctor's offices on it on our fridge. You know that We have these opportunities here. I'm thankful for those things. Don't get me wrong um, at all. But I think again, you know, do we have the faith to be healed or are we just saying oh well we'll see what the doctor says we'll see what the doctor says um i think we need that faith to be healed we we need to pray for others when they're sick even if the situation looks dire even if the situation looks like they're not going to live we need to pray for them even if other people would say take them off of life support say no i'm praying for them you know yeah maybe there will come a time when when the you know it does come time to to do do that but as long as there's life, I believe there's hope. You know, even after death, we've seen God can raise people from the dead. I mean, we have a hard time believing God can heal a cut on our, our body, let alone bringing something back from the dead. But I know God could do it if he wanted to. I'm not saying that he will. People will die. We were praying for um, a friend's daughter this week, and she died. And Ash and I were talking before, I, I can't imagine that. That doesn't mean that God's not going to allow that to happen. That doesn't mean that God didn't hear our prayers or, in a sense, wanted to answer them. But that's what he allowed in his providence. But we see here that um, this man did have faith to be healed. Paul saw the faith and, and obviously knew that God was working and, and brought healing to this man. But what do these people say? These people who are seeing this go on, they say the gods have come down in likeness of men. And I don't know if you guys ever studied Greek or Roman history. I took Latin in high school, so I was bombarded with it for four years. Well, probably wasn't really four years because I definitely didn't pay attention for four years. But, <laughs> but um, you know, it was this twisted reality. They said the gods have come down in likeness of men. And isn't that just like the enemy to twist the reality that what did God really do? He came down in the likeness of men and Jesus. But Satan has these things out there in their culture about these false gods, these superheroes who are who are God and take man's form from time to time. You know, in world religions, a lot of them have similar stories because a lot of them are twisted versions of reality. If we look at the flood account, a lot of people do, a lot of religions do have flood accounts, but we know that one is true. You know, I heard this quote the other day uh, from this uh, guy. I didn't. I don't agree with everything he says, but, um, but he says, stop playing around. You either believe the Bible or you don't. You believe in the resurrection, but you don't believe in the literal flood. You believe in uh, Jesus being virgin born, but you have a problem with Jonah being eaten by a fish. You know, that's between you and the Lord, but really it's, it's like it's all the same book. It's not an allegory. And I think that that says, you know, the best lies are mostly truths. You know, if you want to tell a good lie... Tell them you heard it from the pastor of the church that tell mostly the truth and twist one little thing because then, oh, you know, all these truths. And I think I read this quote uh, from the White House the other day. I'm not going to go into it because my little box will get even bigger. But they, they, the way they framed this half truth to be a complete truth made it a total lie. And it's about all the stuff that they're talking about lately. I'm like, no, that's not true. You still need to go through all these other things to have it taken care of. And it's, that's the way we're in right now. People don't do their, don't think, people don't think. They just accept whatever poison they're given. But we're going to have a quick a Latin and Greek study here. Zeus, or uh, in Rome, uh, he was called Jupiter. When Rome took over Greece, they just adopted other gods. But he was the sky and the thunder god in ancient Greek religion who ruled as the kings of gods in Mount Olympus. He was respected as an all-father who was the chief of the gods and signed the others their roles. Even the gods who are not his natural children dress him as father and all the gods rise in his presence. And they think Barnabas maybe is a little bit older than Paul. They think... It's Zeus. You know, he's the one who, who brought all this together. And, and Paul, he's Hermes. He's the son of Zeus. Uh, he's the second youngest of the Olympian gods. He was considered a god of transitions and boundaries. He's described as quick and cunning, moving freely between the worlds, mortal and divine. He kind of sounds like Satan. He's also portrayed as an emissary, a messenger of the gods, an intercessor between mortals and the divine. And I'm getting somewhere here. Trust me. And the conductor of souls into the afterlife. He has been viewed as a protector and patron of herdsmen, thieves, Et cetera, et cetera, literature and poetry, athletics and sports, invention, trade, roads, boundaries, travelers. So he kind of, he's got a lot going on. But in some myths, he is a trickster and outwits other gods for his own satisfaction or the sake of humankind. He attributes, his attributes and symbols include the herma, the rooster, the tortoise, the person pouch, winged sandals, and a winged cap. His main symbol, though, is the Greek kyrkion, or the Latin cadaceous, which is two snakes wrapped around a wing, snap, wing staff and you're not in there because you know that's the sign you, any ambulance you see drive by has this symbol on it and we see that because Paul healed this man they think that he's Hermes that he's the one who's bringing healing and blessing and transition um, and speaking as well and he was healed through Paul they think that just because that this man is healed through Paul they begin to attribute divine qualities onto Paul that Paul's Hermes himself come down and Barnabas well he must be Zeus He must be Zeus. And you picture all this, oh, it's Hermes and Zeus. They've come down. You know, they're here. It really is them. Um, You know, and out comes, you know, within earshot is, you know, the temple where they worship uh, Zeus. They make sacrifice to him and I'm sure all sorts of debauchery. But he goes, oh, great. So they come out and they bring, you know, all the temple people and they bring out this big old calf or something to, to, uh, to sacrifice. Great. The gods have come down to us. And it's just this whole scene that gets way out of hand, you know, cause God did one thing, but the people, their minds are perverse. Their hearts are perverse. You know, I'm butchering this quote from John as, but He says, beware of building yourself a stage. People will see your backside, you know, beware of anyone who claims to be the source of their power. I say, because, you know, you begin to exalt yourself and say, look how great I am. They're going to find out that you're not anybody special, you know, six months into your presidency, they're going to realize you're not that special. Um, but 2 Corinthians twelve nine through 10, and we're going to read earlier parts of that a little bit later as we hopefully get through uh, quickly. And he said to them, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I most gladly will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Hey, buddy. In reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's first one to say, it's not me. It's not mean. we'll see that here in a minute. You know, these people are worshiping what? To get blessings, to get healings, to not be destroyed. They have fleshly motives here. They have fleshly motives. They see this guy get healed. Let's worship him. What is, what is God, Zeus, and Hermes going to give for us? Um, let's go on in 14 through 18. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes And ran in among the multitude, crying out, and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preached to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. I mean, picture us this thronging crowd trying to worship these men, trying to make a sacrifice. The city, you know, ever been to like a football game or a baseball game, or, you know, you see pictures of uh, soccer uh, in like South America and Europe when they go nuts and they like tear the town apart because the, the team won. Same sort of idea here. You got this crazy worship going on. And Paul and Barnabas go, wait, 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 wait. They tear their clothes, the sign of grief and, and of torment that, man, we're, we're not gods. We're not gods. We are men, just as you. The same nature, they say. The same sin nature that's in you is the same sin nature that's in us, they say. You know, 1 Corinthians 10 talks about that in 13 and 14. No temptation has overtaken you, except that is common to man. But God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But it goes on uh, a little bit further than that. But basically, that man, when, when there's sin, when there's a temptation... We're not the only one to ever face it. That the Billy Graham faces the same temptations, so to speak, that you or I do. You know, that Paul faces the same temptations, so to speak, as you or I might do. You know, that if it's happened to you, it's probably happened to someone else. That we're not alone. You know, that's another trick of the enemy to make you feel like you're alone. But Hebrews 4.14-16, 4, through 16, uh, you know, it says that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus Um, who sympathizes with our weaknesses you know that he was tempted just like we are but without sin it says and paul says here that they're preaching to them that they might turn from useless things useless things to the living god to the living god and idolatry is useless is useless and um, i know we're going to be cutting short on time here but let's turn to isaiah 44 this is just about idolatry Isaiah 44, 9 through 20. I remember reading this years ago. I was just like mind-blowing. I just, uh, maybe it maybe it's me, but I think this section is awesome. Isaiah 44, 9 says, Those who make an image, all of them are useless, and their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Who would form a God or mold an image that profits him nothing? Like, why would you do this? Who would do this? Surely all his companions would be ashamed. You know, If it's kind of like in the HOV lane when you have the dummy in the the passenger seat to, to get away with it. You know, imagine you take the dummy out of the car and you bring him into the restaurant with you and you start talking to them. People would be ashamed of you. They think you're crazy. And that's what he's saying here. And the workmen, they are mere men. Let them be gathered together. Let them stand up yet they shall fear they shall be ashamed together the blacksmith with his tongs works one in the coals he fashions it with hammers and works it with the strength of his arms even so he is hungry and his strength fails he drinks no water and is faint the craftsman stretches out his rule he marks one out with chalk he fashions it with a plane he marks it out with a compass and makes it like the figure of a man according to the beauty of a man that it may remain in the house he cuts down cedars for himself and takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn, and he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half, he eats meat. He roasts the roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, ah, I am warm. I've seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a God, his carved image, he falls down before it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know or understand, verse 18, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. And no one considers it in his heart, nor is there knowledge or nor understanding to say, I've burned half in the fire, yes, I have also baked bread on its coals, I have roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside. He cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand that people make these gods out of the same stuff that they made their kitchen, the same stuff they made their stew. You know, I I don't think we're that obvious about it anymore, but man, people worship their jobs. People worship their families. People worship their skills or other things, and sometimes they even worship little idols that really, you know, it was a tree at some point. It was in a plastic factory, you know, last week, and we're worshiping it. But it says here that he did not leave them without witness, that God did not leave people without witness back in Romans I'm sorry, back in Acts. But Romans 1.18 talks about that, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them for the, since the creation of the world is invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So people, when we looked at nature, we understand that God made it, but we reject it. We reject it. You know, professing to be wise, it goes on to say, they became fools and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And just like that vacuum of, of God in our society where something has to fill its place, the same thing happens in us. When we take God out of our mind, we take God out of our lives, something is going to rush into our lives that we may worship it because we are created to worship. But even these sayings didn't do the trick with these guys. They heard what Paul and Barnabas were saying. They saw them rip their clothes But they didn't hear it because they were blind in their idolatry. They were blind in idolatry. That they saw what they wanted to see, they heard what they wanted to hear, and they were going to do what they wanted to do. You know, they were brainwashed. I read this week. I don't know. I saw this week. I didn't watch the video. I don't know if it was like an actual interview or it was one of those like late night shows. But there are people congratulating North Korea on getting a hydrogen bomb. Is that you see it like? hello, <laughs> crazy, it was Jimmy Kimmel, that totally, it. Yeah, totally. like he does like the eyewitness news, those things are hilarious, because people go out there, just because they're on TV, or just because they're not educated, they go, oh, I got a hydrogen bomb, fantastic, it's North Korea, people, this guy is shooting missiles in the Japan Sea. he's, he's a crazy dictator, you know, if watch, a, watch a show uh, on Netflix, or something about North Korea, and all the propaganda there, and tell me if, if, if it doesn't break your heart, and tell me it doesn't make you want to go and do something about it. But people are brainwashed these days. You know, Ash and I were watching a show the other day, and this guy was getting brainwashed. And it's like, he had, you know, this is like, you could probably look into it in psychology station in the 60s, but they're like loud music and flashing images and, you know, kind of the whole like staple your eyes open sort of deal. But um, I know it doesn't sound very pleasant, but it made me think, we're sitting back here, we're watching the TV, we're not really thinking, and it's just flashing and going and it's brainwashing us. I mean, we're not really brainwashed by it, but you get where I'm going where... We just watch it all the time. We don't listen to what we're, we don't consider what we're actually being told. We're like, oh, North Korea got a nuclear bomb. (laughs) Oh yeah, you know, whatever it is that we all go because it's the popular thing, because it's the cultural thing that's been put up on a pedestal. And just because they're on TV and they look good behind camera that we need to listen to what they have to say. I don't know. I don't know about that. We'll go on, reading 19 and 20 and then we'll close out here. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, departed with Barnabas and Derbe. And we're going to go through this super quick, but there's some major, major events here. Um, you know, they were followed, that these people from Iconium, found out where they went, where they were ministering, and came and began to poison these people as well and brainwash them as well. And they persuaded the multitude. You know, they take a mob rule. Just because the mob is crying out for it doesn't mean it's the right thing. You know, I encourage you, uh, if I haven't told you already, go to ccphilly.org slash ecpc, the East Coast Pastors Conference. Uh, session two from Jack Monday of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association talks about civil unrest. These are talking about all the riots that were going on in the country a couple months ago um, from uh, the, the police shootings. Um, and just listen to the things he has to say from being on the front lines and seeing certain things go on at, at all these events that were very similar. Um, you know, I'm not talking one way or the other about the cause of the riots, but or the, the situations that led to the riots, but what's going on at the riots themselves. Um, do your favor and check that out, it's only like 26 minutes. But is Paul dead here? Paul dead. They, they thought he was dead. They beat him so bad. I don't know what happened to Barnabas. Maybe Barnabas could run a little faster than Paul. I don't know. Uh, maybe tied his sandals tighter. But but Paul was dead here. They dragged him outside of the city. They, they, they stoned him. They beat them. They dragged him outside of the city and they left him for dead. Chucked him outside. He's dead. All right, let's go back and worship. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wasn't he Zeus? Wasn't he Hermes? How quickly the mob changed from wanting to worship them to killing them with just a little bit of uh, influence from an outside party. And that's the way it is with the world, guys. You know, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 2 through 8. You know, we read 9 through 10 earlier, but it says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up in the third heaven. And he goes on and talks about uh, seeing paradise in inexpressible words to where maybe this was Paul. Maybe this is the situation he's talking about where he saw heaven, but he's not writing a book about it. He's not saying, Come see my movie about me seeing heaven and all these other garbage things that we see these days because he says you know i take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for christ's sake because i'm weak and when i'm weak he's strong but i wonder how long was he lying there how long was it between when they tossed him out of the cities when the apostles came oh man is paul dead just says that they stood over him you know like i don't want to touch that i mean it's probably pretty gross looking uh but they gathered around him and he rose up he rose up. I don't know. if Paul definitely wasn't faking it. He was dead or close to death, but he rose up. And again, I, we see another miracle here that, that God healed him, that God healed him, that Paul's time wasn't up yet. You know, God does heal. He will heal. And sometimes we just tend to not believe it. Um, again, not the craziness of the world or false teachings, but God will practically heal people. God will practically heal you from time to time. God will heal others that what? That the gospel may go out that the focus becomes jesus and the gospel that the healing becomes a conduit for salvation not uh, the other way around but paul's infirmities later we read about him where he had problems with his eyes it's possible that this is what it stemmed from that you know you get hit in the head with a bunch of rocks where people think you're dead you're probably gonna have some sort of health problem here but what does god say about that when he prays about it my grace is sufficient for you but we see that paul what does he do does he get up and go to the doctor no he gets up and goes right back into the city <laughs> I I don't think that would be me. Not at all. But he didn't quit because he knew his mission wasn't over. He says in uh, Philippians 1, through 24 as we close here, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And uh, we see that Paul knew what was needful. It wasn't being safe. It wasn't being accepted. It wasn't being worshipped, on the other hand, either. But it was getting the gospel out no matter the cost and god i pray that as we go forward that you would like we prayed and saying before that god we give you our hearts and our lives that you get our focus right this year that this year we would worship you and serve you wherever you call us wherever you have us that even if uh, no one responds, God, that we would be faithful to you and uh, do the things we do for you. And we thank you for the stories, and we thank you for the accounts, and God, we thank you so much for your Son. And, and God, if there's healing that needs to go on in our lives, God, would you touch us this day? Would you heal us? Would you heal those around us? And, and God, if there would come a day when we need to speak boldly, say, someone, get up and walk in the name of Jesus, would you heal them? And would you give us faith to say that, that they might come to know you, Lord? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys,